Can we give God thanks one more time for the music? Amen. Would you pray with me, God? We are so grateful. Um, may we not miss the story of tonight. Lord, this is your moment. This is the moment when your love became tangible to us. Your grace became tangible, your forgiveness. May we never forget it and may we embrace it with all that we are. And so, Lord, tonight I ask that you would pour upon me the gift of preaching that my very frail and broken and human words might, but the power of your Holy Spirit become your living word, uniquely crafted for each and every one of our hearts. We pray it with great confidence, for we pray it in the name of the baby born in Bethlehem. Amen. Well, you've made it. It's Christmas Eve. Are you ready? I don't mean have you bought all the presents and done all your duties and met all those hyper expectations of others. I mean, are you ready to celebrate Christmas? Because all those very good things like parties and the gift buying and the card sending and the relative visiting, as good as they are, can also create angst and stress and anxiety. They can inadvertently steal the real Christmas celebration from us. But tonight, tonight we have the opportunity to recapture what makes Christmas truly something to look forward to. How? As we hear the story, once again, we respond in faith. So let's all take a deep breath and pause to consider a most cosmic event that all started when a baby took his first breath. For in that moment, the Creator chose to be created. What a profound and mysterious moment in time. Max Lucado puts it this way. The omnipotent in one instant made himself breakable. He who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl. God as a fetus. Holiness, sleeping in a womb, the creator of life being created. God came near. Why would the creator become the creator? Why would the creator become the created, not the creator? Scripture tells us all that it all comes down to God's great love for us. Light shining in darkness. An innocent child redeeming us as he becomes king and savior of the world. And if we actually consider that our creator might have done such a thing, it has life-changing implications for each of us. And the scriptures we've heard tonight bear this out for each of the key players in the story respond to the news in the most profound of ways. Each and every one of them worship. The angels sing glory to God in the highest. The shepherds praise God as they leave the manger. The magi bow down in worship. And I just wonder what it must have been like for Mary and Joseph that night to actually become the parents of this angel-promised child. Can you place yourself in their shoes? The Creator has chosen them as His human parents. 
They have become central characters in the greatest story ever told. What an awe-inspiring, amazing, joy-filled night this must have been. Evan Rosa, who's adjunct professor of philosophy at Biola University, describes their first moments this way. She says, I simply cannot fathom what profound act of strange mystery and apocalyptic shock must accompany the experience of lifting wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, from the straw of a manger. What a clash of emotions. Jesus, you are our child, our baby. You are completely dependent on us. And yet at the same time, as the Nicene Creed proclaims, you are the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages. You are light of very light and God of very God. I wonder if Mary intuited such things when the angel first appeared to her. What we do know is Mary answered yes to the angel's question. Lee McElroy writes that Mary said yes once is stunning. That she kept on saying yes for nine months of scandalous pregnancy and throughout her firstborn's holy, tender, harrowing life is even more amazing to me. Following such a night of untainted joy, as the years progressed, what grief Mary must have endured as she realized that Jesus was not the kind of king she expected, but rather a king who gives his very life as a ransom to save the world. And you know, I'm grateful for how from the beginning, not only joy, but sadness and grief are rooted In God's story of redemption. For if we're honest, we all struggle with sadness in our lives. And it can be especially poignant during the holidays. As some of you know, since July, our family has lost two loved ones. Amy's oldest brother, Ted, and me, my father. So it's been a season of grief and of sadness for us this fall. This is a picture of the sunrise the morning after my dad's death. I was heartbroken, and I remember distinctly the weight of the grief I felt that morning. But as I looked at the sky, I also saw hope, light, coming with the dawn. What about you? For so many of us, there's an empty chair at the table during the holidays. Representing people who are no longer with us. Or maybe you've lost your job. Or maybe your marriage has collapsed or is collapsing. Or your adult children won't talk to you. One thing we all come to know is pain and suffering are a part of this life. Regarding this, Sarah Condon gives this advice. She says, I wonder if we haul out the happy to force the feelings of sadness further into the dark. But the joke is on us. Real Christmas lives in the dark, in dimly lit churches, in the community of singing about lonely exile here. I know this sounds crazy, but maybe the most beautiful part of Christmas is the sadness. Because if we try to ignore the grief and pain of human existence, then we are left with the worst part, the command to be happy. 
at Christmas. So really, even in the face of cultural expectation that Christmas is nothing but joy and happiness, that it's all fluffy puppies and little elves and Santa giving us every gift our heart could ever desire, even so, it's okay for sadness and grief to be a part of our Christmas experience. For Christmas is not just about a just about the light that came into the world. It's also about the darkness that the light overcomes. The promise of the Christ child is even in the midst of our darkest season, hope still shines. For when the worst happened in Mary's life, when Jesus died to save us from our sins, the story did not end there. On Easter morning, he rose to life. And along with that, something else happened on that Easter morning that anchors our hope even in the darkest of nights. As Jesus rose from the dead, he simultaneously conquered death itself. Our greatest enemy, death, is now dead. It no longer has any hold over us. In other words, the redemption that God sent this baby to enact upon the world is a redemption so robust that no matter what happens or what suffering we endure, we can do so in hope. That morning after my father's death, as I looked at that sunrise, I found hope in my faith. For we know that we know that in Christ our ultimate future is one where there is no more death or grief or sadness. That is the promise that this baby came to fulfill. Michael Gerson wrote an article that captures this sentiment well. He wrote it a few years ago while fighting terminal cancer, and he was called home less than a year later. He writes this in the Washington Post. On Christmas, we consider the disorienting, vivid evidence that hope wins. If true, it is a story that can reorient every human story. It means that God is with us, even in suffering. It is the assurance, as from a parent, as from an angel, as from a savior, it is okay. And even at the extreme of death, quoting Julian of Norwich, all shall be well. And all manner of thing shall be well. This is why God came near. No matter our current circumstance, hope wins. Ultimately, all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. This is the ultimate promise of Christmas. This is truly what makes it possible for Christmas to be merry. For truly the hopes and fears of all the years were met in him that night. You know, you guys, this story is so overwhelming to me. And the response that each of the characters in the story have had was to worship. And tonight I want to do something just a little bit different. I'm going to give you, we've had lots of big music tonight. And I'm just going to ask us, in response to this amazing message of love, if we could worship together by singing two choruses that you know well. One we just sang, Gloria in Excelsis Deo, from Angels We Have Heard on High.
And the chorus to O Come All Ye Faithful, O Come Let Us Adore Him. And we're going to sing this together uh, just with my acoustic guitar. We're just going to do this and respond to God. And I hope you'll respond with us. I'm going to invite Eliza up. Eliza, if you'll come. Um, And so we'll kind of guide you through it. It'll be on the screen, but we'll sing Gloria and Excelsis Deo twice, and then we'll sing O Come, Let Us Adore Him, a few little verses, then then Gloria and Excelsis, and then we'll end in a cappello as we sing O Come, Let Us Adore Him one last time.
Thank you, God. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness that was all found in this baby born in Bethlehem. The hopes and the fears of all the years were met in him that night. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.